Thank you, Heavenly Father. We welcome you into this place, Holy Spirit. We welcome you to speak to us, to open our eyes, to open our ears, and most of all, open our hearts, Lord. Lord, till the oceans run dry, you will provide for us, Lord. And if our strength fails, you will lift us up and strengthen us and carry us, Lord. So, Father God, I just pray that you come and meet us today, this day, where our needs meet, where we can be a reasonable and pleasing sacrifice to you. We could be in a place that you can use us, Lord, for your kingdom, for your increase in your light, and increase in your truth, Lord. Because, Lord, without your truth and love, there is no hope in this world. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would pierce our hearts this day with this message that is from your heart. And I thank you, Father, that you watch over us, you always protect and surround us, and that you have given us your wonderful word to be able to grow and mature in the knowledge of who you are, our God, our Creator. In Jesus' name I pray. So Jesus, the Word of God, DNA and the design of creation. What happens when one part of our body is hurting or injured or not working properly? You know, we take this design, this body for granted, but we pull a muscle, we hurt our back, we hurt our shoulder, we hurt our neck, we take a fall and we realize, actually, you know, we needed that muscle or we needed that arm or we needed that knee, we needed that hip, you know. And so what happens is you find that the body, you, you know, if, if I've got a sore hip, I'm going to favor the other one. So your body becomes imbalanced because you're favoring the stronger side and then you've got the weaker side. And while that restores, and then you find you're going to end up with some kind of thing happening on this side because you're trying to overcompensate. So, so what happens when a part of our body is not working properly? We overcompensate and we're out of sync. And we realize, geez, that thumb, we really need that thumb. So this brings us to wonderful verses of Paul when he's speaking to the church of Corinthians. We as the body of Christ, we are one body with many members. And this is a scripture many of us are familiar with. And... The Holy Spirit and God really laid this message this morning on my heart. I was going to continue with more of the, the DNA and the scientific side, but it's important that we understand what the Holy Spirit is actually meant and what the body of Christ actually represents as a complete body, as a component or, a sum, or a summation of all the individual parts. So Paul says, For just as the body is one, 
and yet has many parts, and all the parts of the body, through many, form a single body. So it is with the Messiah. For by one Spirit, all of us, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, were baptized into one body, and were all privileged to drink from one Spirit. For the body does not consist only one part, but of many. If the foot says, since I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, that does not make it any less part of the body, does it? Or if the ear says, since I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, that does not make it any less part of the body, does it? For if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has arranged the parts, every one of them, in the body, according to His plan. Now, if all of it were one part, there wouldn't be a body, would there? So there are many parts, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or the head to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are in fact indispensable. And the parts of the body that we think are less honorable are treated with special honor. And we make our less attractive parts more attractive. However, our attractive parts don't need this. But God has put the body together and has given special honor to the parts that lack it so that there might be no disharmony in the body, but that its parts should, be, should have the same concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is praised, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the Messiah's body and individual parts of it. And God has appointed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, and then those who perform miracles, and those who have gifts of healing, those who help others, administrators, and those who speak various kinds of languages. Not all are apostles, are they? Not all are prophets, are they? Not all are teachers, are they? And not all perform miracles, do they? And not all have the gift of healing, do they? And not all speak in other languages, do they? And not all interpret, do they? He says, keep on desiring the better gifts, and now I will show you a more excellent way. This is taken from the ISV version. Yeah, and many of us have read it in you know, King James and that. And I just find the, the English is a bit more sensible. And here Paul is relating the spiritual body as the whole body of Christ. And each of us have a role to play. And as I was saying last week, that as God created us, He has created us unique. He has given us each distinct personalities, abilities, gifts and talents. And no one is above or below other. We are all equal and perfectly united in the body. 
So your gift of service or your gift to the body, not one is more important than the other. And one of the distinctions is like, you know, I stand here, I don't want to stand up on the pulpit. I'm here with us together. We are growing and learning together. We are all equal in God's sight. He is not a respecter of persons, but He gives us a role to play according to His plan. So, if we look at the blending our paint, now for those of you who've seen paint being blended in those machines where they put in the, the formula and they mix in the certain colors until you get the shade that you want. Now, on the left we have just a blank body, the blank canvas. Now, in the spiritual, God wants to blend us in. Our colors, our light, our shade, our contrast, our hue, our saturation, all of that together in one. So that as a body is full of color and full of light, the body of Christ is alive. The Holy Spirit quickens us and makes us alive. Full of vibrancy. To be a Christian is to be an overcomer full of life. And full of vibrancy. And if you look at the three primary colors. And are they blending into one. And I'll discuss this a bit further. But this is what God does. Is he starts blending us. So once we come to the cross and we come to salvation that is the first step but as God continues to work out and we continue to work out our salvation he starts to blend us he starts to cleanse our hearts he starts to take those things and lovingly reveal to us those things that he wants to change within us so that we can be more like him and this is this blending God the painter, God the artist, is what we are talking about today. And Paul continues about the ministry of reconciliation. So as one body, and as one, as many parts of that body, the, God's design is not for disunity or disharmony. For God is the bringer, He's not the author of confusion, He's the bringer of peace and unity. And I've asked this question many times to God, why are there so many different churches? Why is your body so divided? And we have so many different denominations, but yet your word tells us that we are one body, one Father, one Spirit and one flesh. So Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 11 to 21. He says, Therefore, since we know what it means to fear the Lord, we try to persuade people. We ourselves are perfectly known to God, and I hope we are also really known to your consciences. We are not recommending ourselves to you again, but are giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who are proud of outward things rather than inward character. So if we were crazy, 
It was for God. And if we are sane, it is for you. For the love of Messiah controls us. And in the King James, it's, it constricts us, is what he says. For the love of God drives and drove the early church. This is the apostles. They were driven by the love of God to spread the good news. They didn't say what was wrong with this world. They say, look who has come to this world. Jesus. A more excellent way. And for we are convinced of this, that if one person died for all people, therefore all people have died. And he died for all people, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died and rose for them. So then... From now on, we do not think of anyone from a human point of view. Even if we did think of Messiah from a human point of view, we don't think of him that way anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in the Messiah, he is a new creation. The old things have disappeared, and look, all things have become new. All of this comes from God who has reconciled us to himself through the Messiah and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. How much do we need this spirit of reconciliation in this land, in this country, in this world today? Where there is so much division, let's be reconciled back with God as our head, as our cornerstone. And therefore, we are Messiah's representatives. We are His ambassadors. Each and every one of us. The world looks at us to see. You say you're a Christian, so show me a better way. Show me by how, how you, who you are. What, light, what makes you different than what I believe? So we are His ambassadors. And this is what the... The commandment is thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain is all about. It's about our stewardship and ambassadorship of the name of Jesus Christ. It's not about a swear word. It's about how we represent our King in this earth. As though, therefore we are Messiah's representatives, as though God were pleading through us, we plead on the Messiah's behalf, be reconciled to God. And God made the one who did, did not know sin to be sin for us, so that God's righteousness would be produced in us. <coughs> See, this is more plainer English. And it's, it's a lot easier to understand and understand. So, it's all about reconciliation. Being reconciled into a relationship and a fellowship with our Creator, God. You know, I said this last week. We can give all the credit to the intricate designs and the wonderful things that God has made. But if we don't give credit and accept the architect and designer and creator, it is all for nothing. So, what is your color? What is each of our color? I mean, 
if we look here, we have, you know, we learned this in, in art school. Those of us who did art at school and read art, there are three primary colors. And any shade thereof is as a result of the blending thereof. So three primary colors, tri-unity. And the shading of the colors and the diffusion of light, it's like the purification process that happens. So when you've been purified, it's not a single step. It's a blending or there's different temperatures or different elements that, or different chemicals that need to be added to remove the dross and to remove the impure elements from the silver. And this is the same with colors. And if you have done art, you will understand that you're blending and you have a palette. And to, to match that shade um, is often very difficult. You know, if you go and paint something, come back to it and try and blend the exact shade again once that paint has dried, it's a very difficult process because you're going to be a, sh a shade too light or a shade too dark. So that's why people try to do it in one go on the one shade and the one color. And this is like art. And so it's what filter are we using? I mean, it's like a photographer with different lenses to filter out or focus or zoom in. A photographer as well has their camera and their lenses. And their lenses can filter out different lights and they can filter in more blue light or less. And, and as the lenses come together, and what the most interesting thing is, if you had to take three lenses, you take two lenses over each other, you will create a, a, a black space. But when you take three lenses and you place them over each other, it creates white light. So at the heart of the blending of these primary colors is white light. And so this, the seventh color, which is the intersection at the heart of the primary colors, is white. And this reminds me of the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Revelation 19 verse 6, it says, Then I heard what sounded like the voice of a large crowd, like the sound of raging waters, like the sound of powerful thunderclaps, saying, Hallelujah! The Lord our God, the Almighty, is reigning. Let us rejoice and be glad, and give Him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. And she has been given the privilege of wearing fine linen, dazzling and pure. And the fine linen represents the righteous deeds of the saints. This is the white robes of linen. And then the angel told me, write this, how blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he told me also, these are the true words of God. And I bowed down at his feet to worship him, but he told me and says, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you. And your brothers who rely on what Jesus is saying, worship God. Because what Jesus is saying is the spirit of prophecy. Prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So as he blends our colors, he's trying to blend our hearts white as snow. And cleanse the chambers of our hearts. So which lens are we looking through?
On the left we have Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland, through the looking glass. This is the world's way. You know, and the title of this book, obviously, Through the Looking Glass and What Alice Found There. So you see, everyone wants to get a glimpse of what's behind the veil. Everyone wants to get a glimpse of what's next. Instead, if you place a lens on the Word of God, look at this picture. It's beautiful. It makes a heart. The reflection of the lens on the Word of God is love. So what filter do we use to measure ourselves with God? Do we look at the world's way? Do we want to know what comes next? Or do we see what the love of God and the truth of God says? Now many of us in science class would have done this with a prism. Where you shine a white light and the light through the lens of the word of God. So a white light is shone through a glass prism. And then the, the light is dispersed into the spectrum, which are the colors of the rainbow. Because now it's going through air, then through glass, and then it's dispersing at that angle. And uh, obviously red light bends less, so red light is at the top. And um, they say here blue blends best, as people just to remember, but it's actually violet that's at the bottom. So if you shine the white light through the prism, the 60 degree triangle glass prism, and then out what will be refracted will be the full spectrum of light and the rainbow, the seven colors. But let's have a look at this, because you see what happens is you've got the speed of light coming in, and then it reaches a different medium, so it slows down. So it then disperses, and that's how one gets the spectrum. And... But if we look at it in the inverse, the science looks, as I say, looks at matter. So they look at white light and they look at how the, the light is dispersed. But rather we should look at it in the other way. We are the colors of that rainbow. Going through that prism is the word of God. And that's the refining of us into the source of light. So God is taking the colors and bringing it back into the white light, not the other way around. So he's bringing us all our shades, all our parts, all our colors into his light. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> and if we look at the speed of light, this, this was an experiment that was done by Foucault, and I excuse my pronunciation, and Physio, Foucault and Physio, and they experimented in 1850 with light and bouncing it off a rotating mirror and measuring the time it took. So what they had is they would have a source of light directed onto a mirror, then reflected onto a stationary mirror, the second step, which would reflect back, and then in the time they would rotate the mirror and then it would reflect back at, at the observer. And that was the initial experiment on how they were calculating the speed of light. So they took the source of the light, reflected it onto a stationary mirror, and where the observer was standing, he couldn't have seen the source of the light. So they changed the angle of the mirror, and the light was reflected back at the observer. And then they measured the distance and the time that it took for the light or the image to come back to them. 
And, and this is very interesting because we're bringing this back into the reflection and bending our light into His light. So, if we look in John 1 verse 3 to 5, it says, Through Him all things were made, and apart from Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life, and that life brought life, sorry, brought light to humanity. And the light shines on in the darkness, and the darkness has never put it out. And in John chapter 8 verse 12, Jesus says later, On Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have light of life. So this is one of his I am statements. But then if we go and read Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city located on a hill can't be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket or put it on a lampstand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before people in such a way that they will see your good actions and glorify your Father in heaven. So the Word, the light, Jesus and us. We are the reflection of His light to others in all of our shades and colors. Who do I see in my mirror? On the left we have a gentleman and, and a, a, a woman. And looking in the mirror, who do I see? Who I once was? Who I want to be? Or who my, you know, what is my, do you see, you know, your past? Do you see who you are as you are today? Are you looking at what has been? Are you looking at behind or are you looking at what is to come? And here are two people looking at their reflection. And they're reflecting back on their lives and see themselves as a younger man and a woman in their prime. You know, he, he's, on this, this picture he's got his military photographs and he's got his, his war and you can see he's a handsome young man. But now he's got his pot belly beard, you know, his body is now sagged, he's no longer, but he's still the same man. And, and this is what I say, is who do I see when I look in the mirror? Do I see what I've become, or do I see what I am becoming? So the mirror is a reflection of God's light. And we dealt with the scripture a couple of weeks ago, but I want to bring it back in. And in James 1 verse 22 it says, Keep on being obedient to the word and not merely being hearers who deceive themselves. For if anyone hears the word but is not obedient to it, he is like a man who looks at himself in a mirror and studies himself carefully and then goes off and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks at the perfect law of freedom and remains committed to it, 
thereby demonstrating that he is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of what the law requires, will be blessed in what he does. This is so true. You know, I mean, we as the natural person, as in our natural bodies, where we, the way we look at ourselves in the mirror and the way the Word of God reflects what God wants us or who He wants us to become, our filters are very different. And in Ephesians 5, verse 13 and 14, it says, But everything that is exposed to the light becomes visible. Exposure, like a photograph on a negative, when you take it and you put those chemicals on it and you develop that photograph and the exposure that comes and then the image that is then fastened onto that photographic paper. And this is what the Word of God does to us. It exposes those places in each of us that God wants to shine His light into. And He says, For the light is making everything visible. And that is why it says, Wake up, sleeper, arise from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. One of my early mentors used to tell me that half an hour was preaching to wake up the dead. And so many times, you know, we forget that we have, we, are being, we have been made alive through Christ. Let's be excited about our opportunities this day. And be excited about what God, what we can do for Him. And so often we have a distorted view of God and myself in our relationship. And on the left here we have a woman who's looking through glass and water. And then reflecting on that you get a distorted picture of who she is. And, or if you're looking in the side mirror of your car. You're looking at what's on the side and what's behind you. You're not focusing on what's ahead. And as I said last week, we forget the things which are past, but we press on to the things that are. We, we press forward and we press on. We don't look at what's behind. So it's about getting our filters and our view of ourselves and our view of God and lining them up together. To find out what the will of God is for our lives. And the plan of God is. Because it's often ourselves that hold ourselves back. And so what is my view of who I am? What do I do? What are my actions? And what do I say? What are my words? Do I bless with my actions? Or do I curse with them? Do I use control or any form thereof to get my way? Do I give or do I take? Whose needs do I meet? What is more important to me? 
do I have preconditions or conditioned response to others? Do I treat others and love others like I want to be loved? Do I respect myself and others around me? What keeps me busy? How do I spend my time? And is it about me? What plans do I have? And do they really matter? Am I more focused on the destination than the journey itself? What is in my heart? These are just some questions that we can ask ourselves when we search our own hearts and to see what filters we view ourselves through. And he has a, an image of a hamster on a wheel. Sometimes I feel like I'm just spinning my wheels and the hamster's asking himself, where am I going? What am I doing? Who am I? Yeah? Today is going to be one of those days. And many times we find we're spinning the wheels. It's like that car, we get stuck in mud and we just can't get out. Or we're stuck in a rut and we can't get out. And a lot of this has to do with our filters, with our view of ourselves and others and God's view of us. How do we get out of that rut? So what is my view of God? Who is God to me? What is in His heart? Do we really want to know? What does He do for me and has He done for me? And what am I willing to do for Him? Do I pray and read His word? Do I praise and glorify Him with my life? What makes Him happy and gives Him joy? Does He delight in me or do I bring Him pain? Do I spend intimate time with Him? Am I listening to Him? And do I change what I need to for Him or do I change it for me? Do I worship the creation more than the Creator? Is my laser focus on Him or on this world? What matters most to Him? These are questions as we search ourselves and we search what matters to God and what is really important. Because we have the Holy Spirit in us that searches the deep things of God. And God searches our thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And so often the obstacle of breakthrough in our lives is our own selves. Is myself. The biggest obstacle I've come across is me. You know, I'm the idiot in the equation. And if I don't value God, my Creator, how can I value other people or even myself? And this is about, do I understand who I am 
And how does God feel about me? Does God answer my prayers? Do I talk to God? Do I talk at God? Or do I talk with God? Do I listen? Do I hear His answer? Do I obey? Do I learn? And do I grow? And do I share His answers with others? Do I take God for granted in my daily life? Do I take His mercy for granted? I don't know the hour or the day of His coming. So why do I take Him for granted? Do I want to be caught unaware and not prepared for my Creator? Do I want to be unprepared for meeting Him? If Jesus came now, what would I say to Him? If I received a summons, to which court will I be summoned to appear? Is it mercy or severity? Which eternity have we chosen? Which throne are we going to stand before? The beamer seat, the mercy seat of Jesus? Or we're going to stand before the great white throne. We actually won't stand, we'll be flat on our faces. But so often we get consumed about our own lives that we forget the price that Jesus paid for all our past, our present, and future sins, for our families, our generations. And the Holy Spirit just laid this on my heart so strong this week. Remember me. Remember me, your God. So will God actually care about the things that I'm doing? Is my accountability to Him alone? I've made you and formed you and intricately woven you together. How perfectly He designed me. And what am I doing with my gifts and my talents? Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30, is the parable of the talents, where Jesus gives ten talents, five talents, and two talents to his servants. And then, in that scripture, the two of them, you know, give increase to the talents, and the one who has the least goes and buries it, because he's afraid. He's afraid of his master. He's afraid that he'll lose what he's got. And then Jesus takes it away from him. It's, it's a very strong message. So use the gifts and the talents that God gives you, each and every one of us, for his glory, for, for his sowing, for his planting. And what does it matter if we live for ourselves and not for him? Who cares what others are doing or what they are saying about me and the world that we live in? Will any of my plans or actions really matter to God today? And what am I going to do for Him? And why do I always look for what's next? We always want to know the end of the book. 
We are patient. And a couple of weeks ago, I talked about this race that we run for Jesus is being patient. It's a patient race. It's an endurance race. This is a long distance marathon. This life with Jesus. It's a long distance. It's, forget about the two oceans. We're running to eternity here. And it's the eternal life or eternal condemnation. And we are pressing on towards the high calling and the prize that Jesus has offered us to be his bride. Instead, we look for what's next instead of looking at what's now, in the now time. What's happening now? And what will you do right now? Will God have mercy? And this is a scripture that many of us pass over. We pray for peace. And Jesus says in the book of Matthew, I did not come to bring peace to the world, but I came to bring the sword. In Matthew 10, verse 34 to 39, it says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. When Jesus came the first time, He came to prepare the way, but only when He comes the second time will He bring peace on this earth. Only when Jesus comes as the, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords will there be eternal peace. Peace is a transitory thing. But he says here, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. I came to turn a man against his brother, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will include members of his own family. And the one who loves his father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. And the one who loves a son or daughter more than me isn't worthy of me and the one who doesn't take up his cross and follow me isn't worthy of me and the one who finds his life will lose it and the one that loses his life because of me will find it God's way is not man's way it's the other way round and what will we be proud of when we stand before God. And in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 7 to 23, he says, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is significant, but God who keeps everything growing is the one who matters. The one who plants and the one who waters have the same goal, and each will receive a reward for his own action. For we are God's co-workers, and you are God's farmland and God's building. As an expert builder, using the grace that God gave me, I have laid the foundation, and someone else is building on it. But each person must be careful how he builds on it. After all, no one can lay another foundation than the one that is already laid. A house only has one foundation. And someone else is building on it. Okay, it's already laid. And that is Jesus the Messiah, the foundation. So whether a person builds on the foundation with gold, silver, expensive stones, wood, hay and straw, the workmanship of each person will become evident. For the day of judgment will show what it is. 
because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's action. Our God is a consuming fire. And if what a person has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. And if his work is burnt up, he will suffer loss. However, he himself will be spared. But it will be like going through the fire. This is the mercy of Jesus. We will, we will be spared at the Bema seat. But whatever works, whatever deed, whatever actions, you see the wood, the hay and the stubble is all the stuff that's above the ground. The gold and the silver and the jewels are all underneath the ground. That is the stuff that is hidden. Those are the treasures. The stuff that's above the ground and that's flashing will be consumed by his fire because that's not what God is interested in. He's interested in, and the thing is, you don't trust children with jewels, do you? You don't give your gold and your silver and your diamonds to a baby, do you? They're not going to treasure it. They're not going to respect it. They're not going to use it the way that God intended. But we have this to thank. The price is paid in full. Everything. Every single deed, thought, action, sin, unrighteousness has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. When he said, it is finished, it is done on the cross. It's, we are a purchased possession of God. And so if he is now paid in full, we are God's sanctuary and His possession. And this is continuing from that 1 Corinthians 3 and says, You know that you are God's sanctuary and that God's Spirit lives in you, don't you? If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy and you are that sanctuary. And let no one deceive himself. If any of you thinks he is wise in the ways of this world, he must become a fool to really become wise. For the wisdom of this world is nonsense in God's sight. For it is written, He catches the wise with their own trickery. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are worthless. So let no one boast about human beings, since everything belongs to you. Whether Paul, Apollos, Cephas, the world, life, death, the present, or the future, everything belongs to you, is what Paul writes. He says, but you belong to the Messiah, and the Messiah belongs to God. He's paid the price in full for us, and our spiritual man belongs to him. So what matters most is how well you walk through the fire. You know, in Isaiah there's that scripture, it says, we will walk through the fire and we will not get burned. And the water will come and it will not overflow us, we will not drown. And when we walk through the fire, we know that Jesus is holding our hand. It's like in the book of Daniel, 
in the fire where Jesus protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I get the names wrong. But anyway, when we walk through his fire, see, unless I've walked through the fire myself, I cannot help anyone else through that fire. To be a hand to pull someone else out of that fire. People don't want sympathy. They don't want you to feel sorry for them. But God gives us experiences in our lives. And He takes us into the darkness. And then reveals His light and brings us out of the darkness. So that that darkness we understand. So when we see somebody else in that dark place, we are able to lift them out. And this is the testimony that Jesus gives us. And it's the empathy it's the understanding of what that is like. So each of us have a witness for somebody. For everybody. And whatever experience has happened in your life, God creates a testimony out of that. He takes the biggest mess and creates the biggest message. So we don't look down on somebody unless I am willing to pick them up. And God ends this cycle. Jesus ended the curse of the law and the wages of sin. We discussed this last week. And Jesus is the cure to the curse. He's the cure to all sickness, to all sin, and all hurt. And the law of God came so the knowledge of sin might be revealed. But Jesus nailed the curse of the law to a tree so that I might live. So God, wake me up inside. Wake me up, God. Revive me. What would I want? Would I want God to use fear, control and power to motivate and make me do what he wants? Or do I want God to pour out His love and grace in me, to set me free, to prove me, to try me, to test me, to save me, to save others? Jesus gave all of Him for all of me. I am no longer mine, and I belong to Him. We pray for revival. But are we really ready in our hearts for a true revival? Revival is not signs and wonders, but the total change in the moral character in a community forever. It's not just a meeting. This is an encounter with the living, the Holy Spirit of the living God that brings lasting repentance and complete death to ourselves. It's not a phase. It's not a movement. Revival is complete change and transformation. And one of the studies I will do is between true revival of God and false revival of God. Because a true revival changes the character of the community. 
those T-televisions go out the window. You no longer belong to yourself. You have no interest in the things of this world. They become strangely dim. And the true cost of revival is everything. Are we ready for that? So if God cannot move and change me, then nothing else will. Thank you. very sobering thoughts. So I don't know, if we just want to come around and move these, let's give God some glory and honor and pray to Him. Yeah? While we believe what we believe and while we do what we do and to know we do it for Him. Thank you, Lord, for this message. Yes, Lord, we so often take you for granted, uh, realizing that you have paid for our sins, and that you are a gracious and a merciful and a loving and a kind God. And in doing so, we forget that you long for our love, you long for our worship, you long for us to be true reflectors of your glory through not only our thoughts, not only our words, but also our actions. And so we would ask that you really will help us to act in a way that will show you to the world, that will show your love, your kindness, and the, your gospel to the world and bring men and women to submit to your claims and become part of your kingdom and your family. Amen. Yes, Lord, and I thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us in the dark, that your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our road. We thank you for that, Lord, that we can go to your word for everything that we need to know, that we not just walking around like lost sheep in the dark, that we can hear your voice. And I ask, Lord, that you remove ourselves, that you burn the self away through the reflector of your light, that we can shine our colors through you, Lord, to the rest of the world. I ask that in humility, and I praise you, Lord, for everything. I praise you for your mercy, and I praise you, Lord, for sending your Son to pay the price so that we can live in the light forever and ever. All glory to our Heavenly Father, to Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Amen.
and thank you for you and who you are. A God who cares for us. A God who listens to us. A God who meets and supplies our every need in accordance to your riches and glory. Thank you, Lord, that the answers that I was looking for and the conversation that I have had with you since yesterday, today's answer in preparation for Sunday. I thank you for And I pray, Jesus Christ, that you will come and transform my life. That my light may shine in the darkness. Because you are God. You are the way. You are the truth and the life. And no man comes to the I place myself on the altar and I pray Lord Jesus Christ that you will blend my colors into your marvelous light that others who are in the dark may come to know intimately, personally Because only you have the power to save. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you for all that you've done. And thank you for all that you are going to do. For our hope is in you, Jesus Our Messiah. You are the anointed. And we praise your holy name as we give you all the glory. We give you permission to change us into your happiness, forsaking all others in the name of Jesus Christ. For the sake of the gospel, who has the power to set captives We worship and we give all that we are to you. Thank you, Jesus.
that's what our boss gives morning. Come to the your cross and say thank you for being my father. Yes. And thank you for your love that you died for a sinner like me. Father, I just thank you that I'm here this morning. I just thank you and thank you again. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 Lord, we are thankful, children, before you this morning, for who you are and what you are doing in our lives. And we just praise you and honor you. We give you all the glory that we can think of or, or talk about, Lord. And we ask that you will enable us to, to be white lights for you, Lord. For your honor, for your glory. Yeah. And Lord, we want to rejoice in you. We want to be glad. We are glad. We are so thankful. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are our Father. Father, all honor and all glory belongs to you. I just thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being part of your family, for receiving the spirit of your adoption, Lord, so that we can be reconciled and that we can walk in your light, Lord, and reconciled in a relationship, an intimate relationship with you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for what you are doing to each of us, how you open our hearts and you convict us, Lord, and you correct us through your word. And Lord, you don't leave any scars. When you heal us and you restore us into your light and your truth, 
the healing is forever. And I pray, Lord, that we would not get in our own way, ourselves, the way we think, the way we look, the way we experience, but rather depend upon your truth and what your word of God says to us and your unconditional love for us, Lord. I thank you for every single person here and every single person who will hear this message, that their hearts will be pierced by your Holy Spirit, that their lives will be changed, and that you will grow us up into maturity in you, Jesus. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, that for what you are doing in this group and the testimonies that will come out of each and every one of our lives as we spend time with you Lord you will pour out your love and your blessings into our lives and into others more importantly Lord let our light house be shining bright Lord 24 hours 7 days a week 365 this light that you place in us we do not hide in a basket Lord, we place it in open, on a city, on a hill, we place it up above the hill that people will see your light. And Heavenly Father, I just think of how 120 men and women of one unity and one accord in prayer turn the world upside down. So Lord, bring a people together who will once again shine your light so that you may shake the foundations of hell and that the gates of hell will not prevail against your people anymore, Lord. That we will stand upon the authority and in the identity that you have given us, Lord, as members of your body, under your kingship, Lord, under your rulership, Father God, let there be breakthrough in circumstances. Let there be breakthrough in corporations, in governments, in communities, Lord. And I pray once again for righteous counsel and wisdom and guidance in the leadership, not only in, in this community, but in this town and in our nation and in every nation on the earth, Lord, that you would raise up righteous men and women and place them in positions of counsel, that they would righteously counsel those and advise the rulers that you have placed there, Lord, on what they should do according to your will, Lord. Because ultimately it is your will and your plan. And I thank you, Lord, that nothing is impossible for you, Lord. That everything as we take to you and we yield and surrender to you, Lord. This is the most beautiful scripture. Paul came to you and begged that this thorn in his flesh can be removed. And you answered him and said, My grace is sufficient for you. And in your weakness is my strength. So, Lord, let your strength prevail. Let your will prevail and plan prevail in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray.
Amen. Amen. Amen.